Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Cultural Soup. Today, we're going to be talking about African-American rights and suffrage. Um, My name is Taylor Coast. We're moving on. I'm Mia. And I'm Caitlin. And so our first topic, or one of the first ones, is going to be basically the um, beginning of black communities during the antebellum period, more specifically right after they um, were granted freedom. So um, one of the focal points of these black communities was the churches. That's basically what kind of started the whole point of black communities. Now, the black churches were very different in the north and in the south, as obviously the north was much more industrialized than the south was. And so um, the African-Americans in the north and south, even their cultures themselves were different. In the south, they were a lot more traditional to their African roots, and their religions consisted much more of the traditional like drumming, moaning and dancing that was t- typical of the African Face, and I'd but, like to add that it's like almost a less like modernized version of what we have going on over here. They're trying to maintain their like their history and their own individualized culture, like separate from white communities. Right. And the North obviously is a lot more full of or more full of like white people and the African-Americans kind of had to adapt to the Northern society. That's what you would consider like whitewash, that sort of culture. Right. That still happens today, especially in schools where kids have their like their specific hairstyles and schools kick them out and they're like, you have to take it off and stuff like that. Like it's still moderate. It's still happening today. And thankfully it's being like talked about and things are being like brought to light. So kids aren't being as pushed out for their culture. 100%. And like it, it all started like with the North and the African-Americans there were totally trying to they had a very different religion. They had to adapt to the white man's religion. And so they saw their um, African-American like brothers and sisters in the South, they saw their traditional religion as almost heathen and savage. And so when they did create these um, churches, a lot of the white individuals actually tried to help a lot of the people in the South, um, some of them. But obviously the African-Americans weren't going to go to them. I mean, they were just enslaved by the white people for, like, hundreds of years. They're not going to... And African-Americans, like, I felt like the ten- they had a tendency to use their church as an outlet because there was mm. not a lot of ways for them to express themselves or be themselves. So they took the building their own churches and building a foundation as a way to be African-Americans in the United States. Definitely. And that was, like, their safe house to, to them. Like, the churches weren't just a place of worship. Like, they were a place of, like, uh, activity. Yeah, and, and um, like, creativity. And they're places of, like, activity and creativity in, like, the centers of the communities. So they weren't just um, like that. So they didn't, honestly, so going, tying back to, like, the white man's help, they didn't really accept that. Um, obviously, like I said, because they we're just enslaved by them and they want to be able to do this on their own. It's not like they're completely incapable. Even back then, white men and women still felt like they needed to give them help because they still felt superior, even though that these black um, communities could do it and make it on their own. So obviously they're not going to accept the help, even if the help was better. And African-Americans knew that they were capable. They've known that they've been capable of great things and executing as many things as the white man or white woman would do. They've just been concealed by generations and generations of white people who want to have that like superiority over over somebody because of a color of their skin or because of in- they feel intimidated or scared. But if they would just like realize, hey, we're all people and 
they can do this too, it'd be okay. Definitely. I feel like they needed the freedom. I, I feel like they were enslaved for such a long time, so now they needed the freedom to figure out things on their own, and they wanted to do this. This was the one thing that they could do, that they could control, and that they were able to make it their own way, rather than trying to... Um, like, be conform. Accustomed. Yeah, be conformed to the white people's ways. And Agreed. not only were, like, these churches, like, centers of, like, the community, but they also, like, helped these African-Americans so much. So they helped... There was a missionary effort from the North um, that kind of helped catalyze these churches, and it helped increase um, black literacy. So in 1870, the black literacy was about 5%, and then it increased to 70% in only 30 years in 1900. So that's that's amazing and showing that, like, again, they can learn these things and they are capable. And that, like, black people are helping black people, and that's an amazing thing in our cult. Like, that needs to be aware or brought awareness in our culture. Definitely, and they help finance, like, new schools and even more churches to help um, back up the black, more black communities as well. And, um, like I said, though, there were many differences between the North and South, and obviously the North really didn't approve of, like, these Southern communities, but it it was their way of life, and that's how they were going to make it and support themselves the best way that they knew how. So, that's what they thought. So, basically, that's kind of the... Rundown. That's like the start of the communities with the. Um, That's like the beginning of what kind of right. caused the snowball for African Americans to start realizing, hey, we can do this. We can. This isn't right. The churches were probably the biggest stepping stone for that. Yeah. And then um, the in like the more rural areas, they tend to stick to their older traditions, and in the bigger cities, they went more towards Christianity and um, following the Bible and the literature and more the northern style. And there is more like logistics to that because obviously if you're out and more isolated than whatever's happening in like larger cities or more fast paced is not going to get to you as quickly, especially due to the level of technology that they were dealing with at the time. Definitely. So then um, fast track now, like um, a few couple years. So like we're in 19, about around... 1920-ish, 1960-ish, around there. And so, obviously, black or um, black communities have been threatened by white man since day one. Since the beginning of their emancipation, they have been targeted. And so, these communities especially were terrorized by groups like the KKK. And this was obviously, or maybe not obviously, but it was a large group of white men who decided to take... Um, the law into their own hands. They decided that if we can't legally get these African Americans killed and things like that, we're going to do what we want to do. And this often was a lot of very violent and gruesome deaths to towards African Americans simply because of the color of their skin, which is completely unjustified. But at the time, they thought it was justified. They were full of like fear of the African American. They were just in disgust because differences they were scared it's crazy how like completely ignorant so many of these white people were like in 1958 there was this man his name was like i forget his his full name was but his name was like edwards group and he had 12,000 to 15,000 followers who are part of his kkk faction and that's like compared to a, a black community of that time that's practically the whole thing and that's so scary and terrifying to even realize back then that like 12,000 to 15,000 people are targeting you simply because you were born 
a different skin color. And I can't imagine being, like, an African-American child in that time and having to deal with watching, like, your your family being taken away from you and you're just, like, having to watch it and you're kind of just, like, what's going to happen to me? Is this, like, my future? Is this my fate? The same thing that happened to my grandma or my mom, you know? And oftentimes it wasn't just, oh, they went away and you don't know what happened. Like, there was public lynchings constantly there was african americans being hung on the streets as like a visual and as like entertainment yeah entertainment in a way to warn other african americans like this is your future if you don't conform to our ideals and our society and our ways and it was crazy that it wasn't even it wasn't the people that you would think it was it was politicians it was doctors it was police officers Mm -hmm. so the people that you believe that you're safe with it wasn't it was those people leading these atrocious like lynchings and burnings and hittings and things like that so obviously like how are you going to feel safe in a community even in your own home if there's these these terrorizing that you're supposed to look up to Mm -hmm. right that are like and now that you have this freedom like you you feel like you're actually like you now have a chance to be out in the open and like have like have the experience of living as a person but now you are scared of being attacked in the middle of the street or during the middle of the day and, like, in particular, a really sad story that I was reading up on is in 1957, there was this man, his name was Willie Edwards Jr., and so he was substituting for a grocery truck driver that day who the KKK was targeting because they suspected him of simply dating a white girl or being in relations with a white girl, both consensual, but obviously integrated marriage was a huge um, taboo back in the day and was not accepted. No, no. So they didn't know what um, Willie Edwards uh, Jr., or the man originally that they were targeting, they didn't know what he looked like. They just knew that he was the grocery truck driver. And so, unfortunately, for Willie Edwards Jr., it was just that day that he was um, substituting for him. So, they abducted him, basically, and then they took him out to the side of the road, or they were driving with him, and they were torturing him and asking him multiple times, like, have you been having relations with this girl? And obviously, Willie Edwards Jr. did not, because he wasn't the person they were looking for, and they weren't going to listen to him either way. Honestly, personally, I think they didn't even really care who he yeah. was. It they was just the fact he was a black man yeah, that they were hurting. They, they wanted just to wanted to, They wanted to cause pain. They wanted to have that, like, superiority that, like, I did mm-hmm. this. Yeah. That, it's scary, honestly. And they, they tortured him so much that, like, they let him live, I'm pretty sure, but they tortured him so much that three years later he died because of the wounds that he suffered there were just so intense. Three and like later. Three years later, yeah. Like, it was, it, the wounds were just so intense he, he couldn't live. And, and I feel like also that's a very, like, almost accurate depiction of what happens to African Americans because all of this started so long ago, but just like what happened to, what was the guy's name? Uh, Willie Edwards Jr. Just like what happened to Mr. Edwards over here, there is a three-year time period that he was still suffering and he was still hurting. And everything that's happened has started, like, a hundred years ago, and it's still going, and we're still dealing with so much of this. And, like, when when is the African-American person not going to have to be in pain anymore? Like, yeah. when like, are they just going to be and, a person? It never actually stops. Like, it went from slavery to now being freed but still getting attacked, and now we have these systems of police brutality and all these other things happening it like it just keeps they go through loopholes and it's never actually stopping it's just getting worse and we're never and we're just calling attention we're, we're saying we're getting making it better but we're actually not and like one of the most modernized like what caitlin said over here was the um the police brutalities like lately that's pretty much what floods the news is some you always see the face of a young oftentimes african-american teen like 16 17 who has been shot by the police or who has been beaten by the police for things that they most of the time have not done. 
and facts can prove this, like African Americans are two times two point five times more likely to be killed by police than any white person. Like it's not even just like, oh, we're saying this just because we're saying this. It's because there's facts about it. There's reports about it. There's um There's, there's families evidence. being affected by this every day. There's people that don't get to go home with their son because a police officer found that that was today, that's who I decide I'm gonna take that's the person that did something wrong. And it's not even, like, sometimes it's not even necessarily the police that are hurting them physically, but it's the police that don't take justice for, like, who was hurt. Right. So take Trayvon Martin, for instance. Right. It just happened, uh, to, what was it, like, 2006-ish? Like, so it last uh, decade, uh, it, it was, it was a couple decades. Yeah. And obviously, he did nothing. He was walking, and a man said he looked suspicious because he was black. And then he started attacking him, and he was shot by that he man, right? And he, and he that man got off completely okay free he killed, non- a, guilty. He killed a boy and got off a free. boy not even this child was not 18 years old he I suffered he was for walking nothing. he was just walking in the street and like walking out and getting killed it was it's sad that this like a lot of this happens and it's still it's it's the fact of, like, I feel like we can't change our history. Like, I, I remember um, someone said, like, history is for us to look at our problems and then to change them for the future. Yeah, to evaluate. But this has happened so much, and we continue to not do anything about it. And it's, Or we talk about it, sad. but mm-hmm. action isn't being placed forward. So I think it's... Lately, though, I feel like in the last five years or so, it's actually been... where there's a lot of African-American activists and social media is helping a lot of that spread. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that we also celebrate African or black history month. It was February. It just passed. So it's actually like very great or very interesting and very awesome that we're taking these steps forward as like a country. But I think that there is a lot of work that can be done and can happen every day to like start improving these. Not even that too. And, and, and it's, I feel like it's almost, it's not even necessarily like the action you have to do is, Oh, go out and donate all your money to these black activist groups. No, it's, it's almost even as simple as buying something from um, a black business. Yeah. You know, or black black somebody. Business. Like yeah. last night, um, a perfect example was when I, I was talking to my mom about this show on Netflix. We decided to, we watched it in history class and it's called the 13th. And it talked about, um, basically the subjects that we're talking about right now and my mom was like, oh, like, like, I don't know if we should talk about that because, you know, like, what if it brings, like, a lot of, what if it brings up, like, a lot of brutality? Like, what if it makes people angry? And I'm like, well, or mom. uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable. And, like, mom, that's, that's the whole reason we have to talk about this because we keep conforming into trying to make people comfortable and we're not actually changing things. Like, we have to change things. Like, maybe there would still be slavery if someone, if everybody was like, oh, let's just, let's just keep it I don't like want to be uncomfortable. I, I don't want to make cry. the white people I, mad. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't want to fight. And sometimes in life, it's like kind of about fighting and standing up for what you believe in. Yeah. And it's, I think like Kaylin said, it's a perfect example that like, we ourselves do have the power to like enlighten people as well. So like right. I said, like, it's not all about donating your money or making a big spread. It's like simple acts you can do throughout your day to just make someone less ignorant and like let them realize and i feel like something very big too that's often lost is like human interaction just in general engaging with people and not making people feel like they're different than you or just understanding that like flesh and blood is that at the end of the day despite skin tone like you could be purple like it shouldn't matter yeah it really shouldn't still a person yeah and then the day yeah and then the um 
honestly, the justice system is, like, so corrupt. Like, Mm -hmm. it's horrible. Oftentimes, they just, I feel like they're just expecting whoever they arrest to take a plea deal. And then you're letting those people just sit in jail for however long. And then if they don't want to take the plea, they're stuck rotting away until mm-hmm. they can await a trial. And these and black communities are, like, struggling so much because they keep losing. Also remember that, like, even today in society, I feel like we still have that, like, obviously, like, the man is the provider and the woman stays right. home and stuff. And right. these black men are still providing for their families. And then once they're taken mm-hmm. by the justice mm-hmm. system, it affects so many people not just that family but the community as a whole it's traumatizing yeah they depend on each other and so when every single day someone is being lost to that system Mm -hmm. over and over and over again it's like well you feel hopeless like what am i supposed to do because i have lost you have young children being with um growing up without dads and like you're like oh why is this crime rising it's because they don't have a father figure like it's not always not obviously not everybody becomes a criminal or not everybody like turns to that but like Oftentimes, if you don't have that structure, what are you supposed to do? And being a single parent, having multiple children, like, obviously, you can only do so much, and you can only view so much, so I think that taking one out of the picture is just... And I feel like it makes you almost hopeless, like, if your dad was just walking on the street, and he got arrested, then you're like, well, you know, I might as well do something bad then if I'm gonna get arrested anyway, like... The mentality towards it is so, like, harming and toxic towards these communities that it just leaves them in a constant state of, like, maybe I should, like, fear and, and, like, hopelessness. Like, maybe I should just do something bad because... That if that's all my future is going to be, then might as well speed up the process. Yeah. Like, there's nothing... If there's nothing that's going to stop it, if my dad or my mom, because of their skin tone, can walk down the street and be a criminal, then what's my future? You know? And I think that's oftentimes what a lot of of youth that is colored in our country is like dealing with that's a reality for them yeah i agree so the police brutality do you have like an example from that um, okay like- so oscar gant was a 22 year old um this happened in 2009 he was shot on new year's day he was out with some friends you know it's new year's holiday like so they were he was out and then um they got stopped by a couple of policemen and and mr grant was obviously he was he he put his hands up he was he was cooperating with the officers. He was just like, oh, he was telling his friends to calm down. Like, you know, like, these are police. Like, respect them and stuff. And the officer who shot Grant was called Officer Johans Mahersel, I think. Is that Mahersel? Irrelevant. Anyway. Irrelevant. Okay. Um, he shot Mr. Grant. And Mr. Grant was like, he, like, looked at the officer and he was like, I have a four-year-old daughter and Mr. Grant did nothing. He he was just he he wasn't even looking at the officer. They shot him in the back of the head, his head. And honestly, this was the first um, this was the first where this was one of the first major U.S. police brutality cases that happened, and there was footage about it. And it, it brought up a bunch of controversial topics because like we noticed that police brutality was still a huge issue. Like it's still happening, and that was kind of what set every a lot of things off. Um, Mr. Grant was innocent, and this officer didn't get any punishment for it and again it's scary because you're watching people of high like political figures or people that you're expected to be able to go to and turn to when you're scared and these are the people causing the fear these are the people traumatizing families like it's it's very sad and i think it needs to be talked about more yeah and i i was talking to my dad about like all of these issues the other day and he made a comment that like really stuck with me he said 
back then, he said he thinks, like, racism and what's happening right now is even more dangerous than, what, than what's happening back then. Because that, back then, it was out in the open. And, like, everybody knew what was happening. And obviously, they knew it was dangerous, so they know how to change it. But now, it's happening in sneaky ways. And now, we don't see the racism that's happening. And it's being um, cluttered over by all these other issues. And so, now, the racism is perpetuating even more because we're not doing anything about it because nobody knows. It's being overlooked constantly. Right. Because, and also, I feel like because it's, in a way, repetitive, but it's it's so important. It's so important. But, like, once something is going on for so long, you become desensitized to that thing. And I feel like that's almost kind of what happens to our society. We're becoming desensitized. Because it's like, how many times can you see an African-American get shot on the news but react the same way? Yeah, I agree. So, I think the whole takeaway from mm-hmm. this um, episode was just that, like, these black communities really came up, like, from themselves and with themselves. And, and tried were... to f- found something for themselves. Right, and, and they they're did. They're still trying to find something for themselves. They're yeah. still trying to make their They've come a long way. Better. They have yeah. definitely come a long way. But, but there's so much farther to go. There's so much police brutality and these white supremacist individuals who believe that they are so much better than everybody else, basically. And it's it's sad. And it, the fact that we have to do is support these African-American communities. And like I said, like, black businesses or even just like, enlightening other people about this topic mm-hmm. and creating a better, like, atmosphere for ourselves and for them to live together. Genuinely taking a step and listening to this podcast is something. It's just 20 minutes of your day. Yeah. Yeah. A drive to school, basically. To hear yeah. about, like, things that have happened or things that you can change. Yeah. So thank you for listening to Cultural Soup. We hope you have a great day. Yeah, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.